Marty, what's that site that we're always talking about at the first of the episode by um, our good buddy, Berkey? GameToppersLLC.com. Is that the site? That is the site where people want to go check out if they want to get a nice game topper for their table. Tony, you know what a game topper is, right? It's this piece of furniture that sits on top of an existing table, has a nice play area and everything. You can order cup holders and everything. It turns a regular table into a gaming table. Well, here in the hotel, it might turn my beautiful ottoman into a table because other than that i really don't have but a two-person table did you say ottoman i know i saw ottoman what's an ottoman isn't it like a footstool isn't that an ottoman that too don't screw up. I will call you out. I am in that kind of mode right now. Okay. We're going to check it in the show notes. But yes, if you want to find out more, go check out GameToppersLLC.com. Hey, y'all. I hope you have your moon pies and RCs ready because it's time for another episode of Rolling Dice and Taking Names. Today, the guys review Masters of Renaissance, Lorenzo Il Magnifico, the card game, they also review Sorcerer City, and they discuss the survey results. I think I may be switching to Mountain Dew Zero Sugar, though. Oh. Hello, and welcome back to Rolling Dice and Taking Names. This is episode number 190, Hotel California. I'm Tony. I'm still looking up how to pronounce Ottoman. It's, what'd you say? It's an empire that I pronounced. Did you say Ottoman? Ottoman, yeah. It's kind of like you trying to say lawnmower. But Ottoman is spelled O-T-T-O-M-A-N. That's Ottoman. But I even said it wrong. I said auto. It's not auto. It's auto. O-T. Yes. That's correct. It's a great way to start the episode off, eh? Yeah. And who are you? (laughs) I'm Marty. Okay. And we are coming live to you from Hotel Renaissance Inn. (laughs) And so so I'm going to tell you guys right now. Marty is probably going to be editing the mess out of this because you can hear the cars going by. Boom, 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 boom. So hopefully <laughs> he'll be able to catch some of that and be able to cut it out. If not, we already are apologizing for the noise. That's right, Marty. This is week number three in the hotel. And how many weeks will it be? They're on schedule, so we're maybe going to get four, maybe five. They're making great progress. We're real happy with that. Um, So from that standpoint, best thing is, you know, some of those shows talk about, I went down and got my free wine tonight. So I've I've got some wine. I'm ready to go. This is going to be a great (laughs) show with me drinking wine. Nice. And for those who are wondering who haven't heard previous episodes, Tony had some manufacturing or building issues with his house. Mm-hmm. And so the builder has to take care of those and repair them. But in order to do so, Tony had to move out into a, uh, I guess a hotel, is it a hotel or motel? I guess it's a hotel until they finish the repairs. That's right. It's a holiday hotel, motel, holiday, holiday inn. Holiday inn. Yeah. Yes. What was that song? That's what I should have called it. Oh my gosh. What is that? So that is, uh, People are screaming it right now. Oh, my gosh. What was that song? (laughs) Hotel, motel, holiday inn. We are coming to you with an incredible show tonight. We are going to be talking about not only some board games. Marty sent out an Instagram of Mountain Dew Zero. Now, longtime listeners know Marty and I love our Coke Zero, so we get to hear what Marty thought of Mountain Dew Zero because I drove all over Charlotte, North Carolina to try to find some so I could help, but I, I couldn't find a marathon. It was not in a Circle K. It was not in a Quick Trip. It was not in a Sam Smart. I couldn't find a Marty. I'm sorry. I'm done. I got to know. How was it? 
Rapper's Delight by Sugar Hill Gang. Okay. That's it. Okay. I couldn't we're... think I was, I saw, I saw it was Rapper something. So it's Rapper's Delight uh, by Sugar Hill Gang. So yes, uh, my sister reached out to me and said, hey, I know you're a Mountain Dew fan. I know you like Diet Mountain Dews. Did you know there's something coming out or just came out called Mountain Dew Zero Sugar? I said, no, I did not tell you some more. And so it just came out the week before this uh, was recorded. So I had a quest. I was out to uh, try to find one and I found one a day coming into work. Years ago when I used to drink regular Mountain Dews, it was my favorite soft drink. And I realized I need to cut out sugar. So I went the diet route. I know people are going to already going to start telling me you shouldn't be drink, drinking diet sodas either. Okay. Okay. Everybody can do what they want to do. Okay. I'm, I'm still going to drink and enjoy a diet soda every once in a while. Still to me better than having a sugar laden drink. Anyhow. Uh, so I got used to the taste of diet Mountain Dews. In fact, to the point that regular Mountain Dews almost were just too sweet. So I had to try this zero sugar version. I got it today. I tried it and Tony, it is different. It is different than the Diet Mountain Dew because there's no aftertaste, really. In fact, it's more citrusy. It's like after you take a sip, you still taste the citric, like an orange juice or lemon juice type thing. In fact, it almost has a mellow yellow type taste to it. Mm, okay. Well, how did it compare to a regular Mountain Dew? Because that's what I would compare like Coke versus Coke Zero. Mountain Dew versus Mountain Dew Zero. It is probably closer to the taste of Mountain Dew than Diet Mountain Dew is to Mountain Dew. All right. So I, if I can find one, because I still drink Mountain Dews periodically. Matter of fact, oh, as part of our stay here, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday nights are free drinks, and they have Mountain Dew. So I can do a quick comparison, assuming that I can find a Mountain Dew Zero. So my quest is still on for Mountain Dew Zero. I was excited to see that because I always love Mountain Dew. Always have, always will. I didn't know that. I didn't know that you did because it seems like you just don't like Diet Mountain Dew because anytime we get together, you always want Coke Zero. Well, Diet Mountain Dew, and this might be an old man thing, I have to run to the bathroom more. <laughs> I don't know if Zero Sugar Mountain Dew is going to help you with that. Okay. I, I guess we can find out. But yeah, I'm a, I'm a fan. In fact, the same day, that I tried zero sugar. I tried a regular Diet Mountain Dew better. It's like, oh, I'm going to start drinking this zero sugar thing because it just, it tastes more refreshing. And then, and like I said, after you drink it, you feel like, wow, that's got sugar in it, but it, it doesn't. You know, sometimes you can have that kind of sugar taste in your mouth. That's what this leaves you with as opposed to that bitter sometimes aftertaste you get from diet, diet drinks. To me, the difference is like Diet Coke, I can't stand. But Coke Zero, I really like. There, there's a bigger difference between those two than there is between Diet Mountain Dew and Zero Sugar, but there is a pretty big difference to me. Well, I think my taste buds are just dead, so anything cold is going to work for me. We got in a lot of gameplays. Mm. Amazing, amazing amount of gameplays. And I, now I will say this. Um, I went over recently to friends of ours, and I taught them Azul. Oh, the uh, first one? The very well, that's the only one we got. Oh, that's right. What was the second? Never mind. It doesn't that, matter. Oh, just since on a quest. There's three of them now. Mm -hmm. We have the first. I'm still anxious to try the third one. I'm still interested in trying the second one. Oh, I've, I've tried that one. It is good. But anyway, yes. so the uh, the first Exulietus, which is still a uh, a very hot selling game. It's an evergreen title, which we're going to be talking about later in the show about what that exactly means. But Azul, yes. So as with all games that you teach, what happens? You lose. Oh, yeah. Yeah, for sure. Especially when I'm teaching Vanessa. Vanessa always wins the first time we ever play a game. Right. So I'm teaching Azul, and I'm watching them play. They are picking this up very, very quickly. They did exceptionally well, and they're 
and I was stretching the games I've brought to him before. So I thought this will be kind of an interesting one because it's got the drafting. It's got the strategy that you need to think ahead a few plays. And I was concerned that I did not play it right recently that, you know, you, I started a row that had a color already in another row, but I watched some of the videos and you can do that. So if you start a black row, and then you need to do another black row as long as there's no other colors and it meets the other requirements. You can do that. You can have as many black rows as you want or blue sure. rows or whatever. And I thought maybe I was doing that wrong. But they caught on and they really enjoyed that game. Now, I will admit I created an issue. Uh-oh. Yep. I thought Donna was going to hurt me. I did a not-so-nice draft where she ended up with eight orange tiles. Oh, you mean a hate draft. It was not a hate draft. I was being strategic. <laughs> Well, yeah, and I think that's a good point, Tony. When, when we say, use the term hate draft, what we mean is we're purposely trying to mess up other players, but sometimes when it benefits you, it just happens to hurt the other players in the, in the meanwhile. That's right. So she took, I think it's my minus 14 because she had the whole bottom row. row ooh, all of her, ooh, yeah. That's bad. But why would I do that? Why would I take that? Because you needed it for your row. No, I couldn't. I couldn't use it. So why would I take that one? So I, be, I, I knew I was going to take some negative points too. So I took the lesser of, right? Sure. Which brings you to a point. For your significant other, when you're playing games with them, do you ever sit there and wonder, okay, if I do this, this might create issues later? Yes. Really? Yes. <laughs> yeah. Now, now, Vanessa, I mean, I don't think she would ever get upset by it, but why do it? If I don't need to sort of deal. Uh-huh. But you don't do it on purpose. You're not going to do it to create problems. You're doing it because you're playing the game. But then you're sitting there thinking, if I do this while I'm playing the game, it's going to create problems. Yeah. And I think I think your example of Azul is a good one because you're right. Towards the end, you know that you can really mess somebody up. Now, when we're playing with our good friends uh, like Fred and Barney, mm-hmm. oh, all bets are off the table because we're doing hate drafting at that point. Oh, but yeah. it is different when you play with people that have never played or maybe family members that you don't play with a lot because you don't want them to get upset. Exactly. So that, that was good that I got Azul on the table along with Dizzle. Uh, still enjoy that. Uh, Rolling right. I know it seems the fad's dying on Rolling right. It does. Which is another thing we're going to be talking about at the end of this episode too when it comes to buying games and fads and everything thing yeah i can't wait that's we had this really fun discussion i want to have at the end of the show there but yeah i mean it was only a matter of time right i mean rolling rights i mean remember when micro games you know were super big Mm -hmm. uh when you had love letter come out then everybody tried to be the next love letter same thing with rolling rights probably gonna have a lot fewer rolling rights come out this year than what you did last year yeah i don't know what's going to be that game or that mechanic that's going to stick now something else happened recently okay and everybody commented over on our pod pledge. Play. Oh man, that, that wine is kicking in. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I should do. I should always do that so that when I screw up, the tongue screws up, I can blame the, the really thin glass of wine that would have actually no effect on a 200 plus pound individual that's 6'2". Maybe in this state, you're better fitted for the Secret Cabal Gaming Podcast. There you go. Miniature Market. Yes, they, they discontinued the drop. Yes, they did. Uh, so the drop for those who haven't followed, there was this idea that every day a game was going to go on sale and stay on sale for multiple days until it reached a certain price point, or they just sold out of the allotment that they were going to sell. Tony, you and I were big fans of the drop 
And uh, but they've decided that they're going to go back to instead daily deals. Right. I mean, the drop was a game. It was, and I think that's what I liked about it because it was a game. It's like, how many days can I wait before I before I jump in and buy that at a certain price? And I always waited one day too late. It seems it's like tomorrow I get it, and then it's off the the, um, the drop. By going back to the daily deals now, one thing Rolling Dice will be doing is. We've talked with Miniature Market, and they're going to be sending us some updates as to what may be coming. And I I did want to say, y'all need to start paying attention because there are some very good deals coming. Oh, my heavens. And I think we can go ahead and say what it is. There is going to be some big asthma day Mm -hmm. price reductions. There's going to be – they had a deal where they went out to asthma day and got a lot of their games. And they're going to be blowing away the map, the minimum advertised price. And selling these things for really, really, really good deals. So what you want to do is make sure to check every day at over at Miniature Market or go sign up for their newsletter or follow them on Twitter uh, because they post all this stuff in their newsletters on Twitter. Yeah, I mean, some of the upcoming ones are Jamaica, La Havre, Steam, Legacy of Dragonhold. I mean, and these are some pretty deep discounted prices. Mm-hmm. So this is one of those that, you know, I don't. I don't know when the daily deal hits on the website because I'm usually asleep. Mm-hmm. So that's that's one of those timing things you got to work out. But pay attention to that. Just pay attention. And speaking of miniature market, we've actually reached out to them because we want to start doing a monthly segment uh, about some of their top sales from the previous month. So what they're going to be doing is each month is providing us with the top sales from the previous month that don't include like clearance items or big sale items because those will end up at the top of the list. And Tony, they sent us the list for December 2019 of the top 10 selling board games. I guess this is board games. It's not miniature or anything like that. Here we go. Coming in at number 10 from December 2019, the Star Wars Legion Clone Wars core set. Number nine, the Marvel Champions LCG Wrecking Crew Scenario Pack. So pre-orders are in here. This isn't even out yet. I was going to say, you haven't been talking about that one. And so that's already up there. D&D 5th Edition RPG. It's a book, D&D 5th Edition book that just came out. Marvel Champions LCG 4, which isn't even out yet. So they're they're making incredible sales just off pre-orders. Then at number six, now Tony, here it is, Azul Summer Pavilion. That's the latest Azul that we need to check out. Okay. One of the top games from 2019, Wingspan, has an expansion, the European expansion. That comes in at number five. Number four, well, I guess it's just Marvel LCG month. Marvel Champions LCG, the Green Goblin scenario pack, which I have played. And if you have Marvel Champions LCG, I really recommend this villain pack because he's fun to play against. Number three, hey, how about Marvel Champions LCG Captain America hero pack? I guess Marvel Champions is selling really well, eh? Number two is, how do you pronounce that? Rajas of the Ganges. Rajas of the Ganges. Rajas of the Ganges. Goody goody box number one. Mm -hmm. And coming in at number one, no surprise, Marvel Champions LCG Miss Marvel Hero Pack. Out of the top 10, five of those are Marvel Champions LCG. So if I were to pick up Green Goblin, Captain America, or Miss Marvel, which one would you recommend out of one of them? Well, they're different. So the Green Goblin's a villain pack. Okay, I have enough money for one. Don't sit here and go, well, da, 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 da. No. Well, do you if want I to take to an existing one. hero and play against a new villain? Or do you want a new hero to play against your existing villains? Which one's going to be better? 
All right. Well, it depends uh, for the heroes. It depends what type of game you want to play. Captain America is a pretty straightforward. He's going to come in there. He's going to start punching people. He's all about allies and getting allies ready and everything. He's got his uh, mighty shield that he gets to throw around. Uh, Miss Marvel is more of a, it's more of a tricky deck to play because it's all about playing a card, uh, doing some stuff, getting that card back in your hand, playing certain events to trigger other cards. It's a, it's a combo heavy type deck. So if you like combos, go Miss Marvel. If you want more kind of a straightforward, fun, damage-dealing guy with some, with some good allies, then you go with Captain America. And if you just want to play against a cool new villain, well, Green Goblin. Once again, I'm trying to be cut and dry here. Okay, so if I, I love Spider-Man. So what I heard was, go purchase Green Goblin. Have you beat the other villains? No, I haven't beaten the other villains yet. I, you know, I just recently got mine, but it, obviously this hotness is telling me I need, I'm missing out on something. Maybe I'm, maybe I won't like the game as much if Ultron keeps beating me down. If I, when I get to that point of playing him now, remember I'm going to be doing single player versions. Okay. Then go get a new hero. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. And try to beat your existing villain. So don't jump to a new villain until you beat. Have you beat the second guy, Claw? The second guy means the medium uh, difficulty in the core set. So there's Rhino, which is easy to beat, then Claw, then Ultron. So what I'm hearing is. Oh, here we just, go. Just concentrate on the core set and then go decide what you want to buy. That's what I'm hearing. Playing with new heroes are fun because it gives you <laughs> new aspect cards that you can modify your hero decks with. Oh, okay. So, so there's some new cards that you can add to your existing heroes deck too, which is kind of nice. All right. Do you like combos? If you like combos, get Miss Marvel. If you want a more straightforward deck, get Captain America. There. Uh, there. There, we're done. Or if I know that I've got some time, go pre-order Thor. Yes. Okay. Uh, Black Widow was just announced, and I am super excited about Black Widow. A lot of guns. A lot of guns coming out. Now, this show is being recorded on January 20th, and this just came into the Rolling Dice and Taking Names mailbox. Miniature market. It's a miniature market type thing. We may not even have to do a commercial. <laughs> I mean, this stuff is kind of cool, what they're doing here. I mean, they're reducing the prices, but get your swag on. Post a picture on social media showing off your swag. Use the hashtag GotMyMMSwag. Enter contest below for a chance to win a $150 gift certificate. Whoa! What kind of... So you see, they want to... You want to see their miniature market swag, like their bags or t-shirts? Ding, 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 ding. Now, and if you came to the Rolling Dice and Taking Names Spaghetti Dinner at Gen Con... You mean Strike Tournament? Yep, Strike Tournament. You got swag. Because you got a bag. That's right. So everybody that was there, the hundred or so people that were there, you got a bag that if you just go take a picture of it, you have a chance to win a $150 gift certificate. When does this contest end? It's not on the email. I don't know. But there's a little asterisk up there. Okay. Okay. You can also receive 50% off of a swag item with the purchase of $50 or more of other gaming items. Now, hold on a second. You're telling me. If I go to Miniature Market and spend at least 50 bucks, I can get one of those sweet bags that's regular just $25 for $12.50? I'm just reading with you what the asterisk says. I'm not telling you anything, but yeah, that's basically what I'm telling you. Yes. Kind of straight, more straightforward than which deck to get for um, Marvel Champions. It just depends on what you want. Exactly. So you can get a t-shirt or one of their bags or uh, some of... Uh, so that's basically the swag they're talking about, either the t-shirt or the bag. Go Spend $50. So on your daily deal, snap that up and then boom 
shipping's there in under three days usually, if I remember correctly. Man, that's $150. That's pretty good. And like I said, if you went to the RDTN uh, Gen Con dinner, you already got some swag. That's right. Can we move on to some games? Well, you started out with a game, and then you moved over to this, and then you want to know what to get for a game that you're going to play solo. I mean, we hadn't hadn't even brought up lawn stuff yet. So you talked about teaching a game, and I just recently taught a game to a guy uh, in, in the band that I play, and it happened to be a game I taught you last week, and that is Fox in the Forest Duet. Yes. Two-player, trick-taking game, working together. Co-op trick-taking game by Renegade Games. Now, there was a, this comes off of the very popular card game, Fox in the Forest, from Renegade that somehow, Tony, I never played. I, well, I didn't either. I didn't have it. I missed it. I'm sure there was something else, which will go to a outro discussion we have. So, yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I missed it. So, because people have already asked, well, how does it compare to the first game? Well, uh, I can't really compare. So, let me tell you what this game is. And when I sat down with you, Tony, I said, all right, you know how to play trick-taking games, right? Oh, Standard yeah. rules. Somebody leads a card. You must follow that suit. If you have a higher value of that suit, you take the trick. If you don't have that suit, you can play any other card. If it happens to be the Trump suit, then you take that trick. It's the same thing with this game. Each of you are dealt 11 cards. And then somebody's going to take the lead and they're going to play a card. And then you play a regular trick style taking game. Whoever takes the trick is actually going to resolve that, resolve that trick by a board that's in between each of you has a little path through a forest. And on this path are different stops along the ways for picking up gems. So when you stop at a location, if there's a gem adjacent to it, you get to pick it up. The goal of the game is to try to clear that entire path of gems. Whoever wins the trick there's a marker on the track that will move towards them. So if I win a trick, the marker is going to move towards me. If Tony wins a trick, it's going to move towards him. The number of steps it's going to move, it's based on little paw prints that are on each of the cards. Some of the cards have no paw prints and they have up to three paw prints. You add the total values of the two cards together, the number of paw prints, you're going to move the token that far on the track. And that's the whole goal of the game, Tony. But... This is a very thinky little game because you don't get to talk to each other. You don't get to say, let me win this trick. You don't get to say, here's what I have in my hand. Basically, you're kind of playing. Tony, you and I used to play a lot of spades together. We played yes. teams. And you can't talk about what's in your hand. But lots of times, by what your partner plays, it gives you a tip. Like if you were to play a high card, when we were playing Fox in the Forest, and you played a super high card, I assume you really want this trick for some reason. So I would give it to you. Okay. But there's a catch here. Because if you would ever have to move a number of footsteps that move you off of the board or off of the track, you're penalized. And there's a little marker that covers the last space on the track, meaning your your path on the track has shortened by one. Okay. Now you got less spaces to work with. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, let me ask you, make sure I'm clear on, am I penalized or am I penalized? The penal is like the penal code, right? It's like penitentiary, that sort of thing. It's penalized. Okay, just checking. It's an auto man. That's right. Hey, I told you, be (laughs) careful tonight. I've got some wine in me. I'm ready to go. So I already found one problem in this. What's that? If you were thinking I was leading high, meaning I wanted the trick, then you and I were not thinking the same. Okay. I was leading based on the paw prints. Well, it's also going to depend where the token is too. If the token is on the path right butted up against the end of your board, obviously you don't want to win the trick, right? Because if you do, the token's going to go right off the board. So I wanted to pull back towards me. 
Mm-hmm. So in that case, you'd probably play a low card, hoping that I can beat it and get the token to move back towards me. Or hope that you didn't have any cards of that suit in your hand so you could trump them and pull it back. Yes, that's true. That's true. As you can hear, there's a lot of thinking going on, a lot of strategy. Well, we all see we're at the end of the board. Well, he's got to bring it back. Does he have that uh, suit? If he does, then we're messed up. And you always are thinking, okay, how many has you? So you've got to do some card counting here. You do because you each of you have 11 cards. So you don't you don't have total knowledge of all the cards because they're not all the cards are dealt out. So beginning of the round, if each of you get 11, the top card of the deck is flipped over exposing what is the uh, trump Mm-hmm. And the denominations of the card run from one to 10. But here's some cool things. Some of the cards have text on them that let you do some really cool tricks. For example, one of them is whoever wins this trick can move the token either direction. There's one that lets you s- swap cards. Like it's like I give Tony a card, he gives me a card, which we found valuable because now I know something that's in Tony's hand because I gave it to him. Tony, when you and I were playing, well, I remember one time I gave you a card that I knew would beat the next card I played just to make sure you could win that trick if you needed to. And I was always trying to short suit myself. Right. There's these little dynamics of the game that really changes over time. It's played over the course of three rounds because after you finish the first round, you deal out 11 cards again, but two things happen. There's a couple spots on the board where new gem markers come out and the path is automatically shortened by one. So after three rounds, you have to have collected all the gems... Or the game will automatically end if the track needs to be shortened and the little markers that cover the track, you've run out of those because run out of those because there's only four. So the only way to win this game is to collect all the gems over the course of at least three rounds. So the odds are against you, which what was what makes it a fun co-op game, ones that you can play a lot of, which I think Vanessa's really gonna like. And, and people who just want to sit and I play a quick game, their their friend or significant other, I think you're going to dig this because it plays in about 20 minutes, easy to set up. I don't know. I, I really liked it. Now, was there any type of scoring for, okay, you got collected this many gems or was it, it was just a win or lose, wasn't it? Once the game is over, you count how many cards you have left in your hand and you take the number of gems you've accumulated plus the number of cards left and gives you a total score. Okay. Because we never really did that, but we were trying to get the play in and understand because we the couldn't win things like that. We never won. Yeah. <laughs> we never won. And when I played the other day with another friend of mine, we also never won, which makes it a good game. If we, if I was to win the first several games that I played, I would stop playing, but it has some difficulty to it. Yeah. I mean, that's good. I agree with you. Some people will say, no, that's not good. You got to win occasionally. You might, but you always want that challenge. You always want to say, I'm going to beat this stupid game. No, and there's also two sides to the board. So when you play the A side, the B side's a little more difficult. And you know what? There's some there's some strategy involved, uh, but there's some luck involved because uh, Tony, lots of times we would get down to the last card in our hand. It's like, we just got to, you got to lead and I got to throw down what I got. Sometimes it hurts you. Sometimes it really hurts you. It always hurt. <laughs> but that's where saving those cards where you can find out a little bit of knowledge about your partner. It's like, well, here, I'm going to trade you a card or you save that card that lets you move the token either direction. So they kind of protect you in those last few moments when you don't have a lot of decis- uh, choices to make on which card you're going to play. But it's still that push-pull type mechanism where if I play this, I could really use this later because I need to go low. But what is my partner going to play? I hope they're reading my mind. Yeah, I, uh, very good game. Very good game. Fun game. Yeah, and it's currently out in stores right now. It's inexpensive games, a little small box. That's uh, 
Fox and the Forest Duet from Renegade Games. If you're looking for a fun little two-player co-op game, one that you could throw in your bag and, and set up and play quickly, yeah, I, I think this is it. So, Don, I got a question to ask you that's that's non-game related because it's uh, it's been bothering me. How often this is gonna this question is gonna feel like it's just out of the blue? How often do you get a nail in your tire per year? Well, I buy road hazard, so that should answer that question. On my tires. I always buy road hazard. So the answer is zero? No. Let's see. One year we got close to five in one t- in one system. Then we've had two in sidewalls. And, oh, we get at least two or three a year. Two? Okay. So I thought I'm the odd person out. For years, no, for decades, I keep getting nails in our tires. Now we got, uh, since we got a, a kid here, we got three cars here. We get three or four nails in tires per year. And Tony, I talked to my family and friends and stuff, and they said they never get nails in their tires. I'm like, okay, am I a freak of nature or something like that? So I hate that you get nails in your tires, but I'm glad to hear that I'm not the only one that has to deal with this crap all the time. As it was explained to me by my local Firestone, and they've done me right on my maintenance, my general maintenance and everything, is that Charlotte right now is having a major construction boom. And when it rains a lot, a lot of that debris, and and it's true, it seems like after a big heavy rainstorm, it'll get washed out into the road and people tend to pick up a lot more nails. And we've had a lot of rain in January, so I'm assuming you just recently had an issue. Yes. Now, typically it's not that big of a deal because over the years, I've gotten really good at plugging tires. I have a tire plug kit that I keep in the toolbox, and I've gone through many, many of those things. And I've gotten good at taking the tire plug kit, cleaning out the hole, threading in the uh, little plug, trimming it off, making sure everything's sealed and everything. But I picked up a nail in one of our tires that was about three inches long, and it went in at an angle. And I thought, this is not going to be good. (laughs) I ended up shoving five plugs into that hole and it would not hold. So I ended up having to go get two new tires and it ticked me off because usually I can just plug it and be on my way, but it beat me and I've already had to order because I used up all my plugs. I had to order a replacement kit of plugs of 36 plugs that might get me through a couple years. See, I'm lazy. Oh, I got a low tire pressure alarm. I drive to Firestone Deal with it. Well, this I just never pay for road hazard. Okay, that's fair. And I I guess maybe (laughs) I I pay $5 for the kit and it kind of gets me through. But I will say this, for those out there who have to plug their own tires, here's a little trick that I learned. Yeah, it's probably not a trick that everybody knows. Do you know how to find a uh, hole in your tire? Uh, Usually soapy water. See, it's not a trick that uh, I'm the only person that knows that. So yes, the soapy water does work. Also, soapy water. Uh, helps to let you know if you sealed it good too, mm-hmm. which is how I knew when after five plugs, it wasn't sealing. You take a little cup of water, put in a drop or two of dishwashing liquid, stir it up and pour it over the hole. And if it bubbles up, you haven't sealed it well. Okay. I thought it was going to provide some sort of you know a PSA here on uh, uh, plugging tires, but uh, I guess that's common knowledge. Well, this, this uh, uh, topic was just totally went off the rails because I thought I'm the only one that ever has to deal with nails and tire. Nope. Tony has to deal with like five a year. I'm the only one that knows this little trick with soapy water. Nope, that seems to be a common thing. So you know what? Let's just uh, move on to the next segment. You thought we were done with miniature market. Nope. This is what they pay for right here, people. The good stuff. Wait a minute, wait. They didn't pay us for the previous thing? 
we'll talk about that later. So, okay. <laughs> so miniature market, not only are they reducing the games from Fantasy Flight, they also got an incredible bundle, if you haven't seen it, on the X-Wing version one. That's right. Go check it out. They've got a lot of great sales going on. If you still play Star Wars X-Wing, now I'm going to admit, I was, I did not, I wanted to get into X-Wing. I wanted Marty to get into X-Wing. I bought the starter pack. Marty bought the starter pack, but we didn't play it. But if you still play it, <laughs> the miniature market has a deal for you going on right now. Be sure to check it out along with all the other stuff. We just recently talked about the miniature market, uh, show your swag contest that's going on and the reduction in prices there. Great deals ever at miniaturemarket.com. All right, so this is Masters of Renaissance, Lorenzo El Magnifico, the card game. Mm -hmm. I need to look up who it's by. Simone Luciani and Nestore Mangoni. Okay, we just kicked off Masters of Renaissance, Lorenzo El Magnifico, the dice game. You heard Marty say it. He thought he was going to edit hey, it Hey, that ain't fair. You got to say it because I could have said it wrong. No, and I'm sorry, what did you say? Simone Luciani and the story Mangoni. There you go. That I is a total guess. I have no idea. You, and you think I'm going to know? I'm not going to know. And, and who published this? Cranio Creations, who uh, comes from Asmodee, who distributes those games. All right. And you know, Lorenzo is one of our favorite games. Lorenzo El Magnifico. That game? Yeah, I was really hoping we would get past this. But obviously, we haven't gotten past that yet. <laughs> See, that was Game of the Year a couple years ago. Wasn't it your Game of the Year? Didn't it win a Squirrely? Yes, it did. Yeah, I still I still enjoy that game. I, the expansion's great. So when you told me that you have that, I was very excited about this game. Then I went out and looked at the rules, and then I got really excited. Do you know why, Marty? Why is that? Because I got to do a flowchart. And it was a good flowchart. And you knocked that flowchart out really quick. By the time this episode comes out, have it up on BGG. I will have it up on BGG. So if I can do a one-page flowchart, everyone, that should tell you just how simple this game is. You mean Masters of Renaissance, Lorenzo El Manifico, the card game? That game. It should tell you exactly how easy this game is. I mean, on your turn, you got three paths. You can either collect resources, you can either buy a card, or you can run your engine. Those are your options on your turn. It's not this or that or that. What is this, that, or that? It's this, that, or that. And it could be both this. No, it can't no, be. No, it both. can't be. It's yeah. either this, that, or that. Pick a path. Do it. Now, <laughs> the first thing we got when we saw this game, we put out these cute little marbles in this little tray. Oh, this! I love this. I love this. This, this is what made the game. Go ahead. So you have rows and columns. It is a three by four marble tray. And the marbles represent resources. There are 13 marbles. There is a red marble. There are white marbles. There are black marbles. There are all different color marbles, but they all represent resources in the game. And if you choose the path, if you choose this, the path to collect resources, you take the extra marble. You say, I'm going to collect resources from this row or this column. You place your little marble there. And you go ahead and collect the resources that are in the tray. And then you push that extra marble and it changes the entire market of resources. Just like that. And you collect your resources next person's turn. Now, for such a simple 
mechanism, Marty. Now you can't plan ahead, but it was probably one of the best things about this game for me. By far. And you remember with Potion Explosion, how it was hard to plan ahead for that game because it would change by the time it got to you. It, it was the same here too, because you might see a rower column that has the exact resources that you're looking for. But as soon as, as soon as somebody else collects a resource, they're going to shift an entire row or an entire column and may push away a color resource that you were looking for. It's an evolving market that I thought was a really cool, cool mechanism. They didn't have to do marbles. They could have done pieces of cardboard and, and you know tokens and stuff. But having the marble tray and the tactile thing of actually pushing the marble and seeing the other marble, the marble that you push out like runs down a little track to the end of the tray so the next person can pick it up and, and go. It was just really cool. And people may wonder, wait a minute, if it's four by three, that means if you select one with four, you can get four resources. Why not always take a row of four resources as a column with just three resources? Which is another rule, Tony, that I really liked. On your player board, when you collect resources, you have a spot to store those resources. You can store, store one of a kind, two of a kind, and three of a kind, and that's it. So how many are in the one of a kind? How many resources are there? One. Okay. I, you could store one. <laughs> so, but the most you can have in storage is six. Yes. And again, the, if you have three, they must be the exact same color. Let's say I have a blue and a gray and a purple. There's one row that has each of those plus a gold. There's no place for me to put the gold. And what happens is if I choose that row of four, for every resource that I discard that I could not place, everybody else gets to go up on the faith track. And if you've ever played Lorenzo Omnifico, you know going up on the faith track is pretty important in that game, and it's important in this one too. But the reason why is the faith track mm. is where you score a lot of victory points. And in that faith track, as you're moving up, you're able to get more victory points. You're able to possibly mess up other people. And when I say mess up other people, when someone moves through a area of favor and they get to the Pope, he says, all right, who is not in my favor? And if any player is not in the favor of the Pope at that time, they have to discard a victory token. And so that's very important. You've got to be watching this because there's only one marble that produces faith on the resource track. The rest of it is gained through the cards. That one red marble that you mentioned, when you collect resources, if you happen to select the rower column with the red marble, you get to advance your faith marker one spot. Now, also on the resources, there are white marbles. Ah, uh, this is cool too. They give you nothing. Zilch, that's it. Nothing, and you have to appreciate that. You don't have to like it, but you have to appreciate it. <laughs> so sometimes there'll be like a, a row that has two of the colors that you need, but the other two are white. Out of four, you're only going to get two things. And sometimes that's just the way, you know, it comes out. The whites can sometimes mess you up. But Tony, again, there's always things that can break little rules like that. Because just like in Lorenzo, there are leaders that you get at the beginning of the game. And your goal is to achieve a goal of the leader in order to get it into play, which may give you an ability. You have the same thing here. Uh, you got a couple leaders that you get at the beginning of the game. And if you achieve the goals that they're looking for, in-game goals, you can activate it and do some cool things with it. One of them is being able to convert white to something that's useful. But is it really? I ask you, Marty, is it really just because you pointed out if I have to discard yep. and give people faith, then if it's because you don't have an option. 
that white becomes that resource. You, you must take it. When the leader goes active, guess what? You're, that's it. That's the action of getting resources. It, it will get you uh, resources so that you can now do the next action. You can buy a card from one of the levels. There's a level one cards, level two cards, and level three cards. You have three slots that you can place your level, your cards, and that's the start of your engine. What's important is as you buy these cards, when you buy a level two, it must go on a level one. A level one may not go on a level one. A level three may not go on a level one. So there is a progression here, which is another thing you have to take in consideration as you're playing this game. And these engines are, take these resources, put them on your cards. They will make more stuff, which goes over into your strong box, which does not have the penalties of your other types of resources. As much as you want can go in your strong box. So you're running your engine based on the cards you bought. But you're buying cards, and it's very important to plan out, ooh, I need this level one, and I'm going to cover it with a level two later. That's okay. But do I break my engine for later in the game when I run my engine? Uh, I don't know what I'm going to do. Oh, wait, what is Fred doing over there? Is he getting enough resources to take that card? And then that just, mm, a lot of hard decisions to be making. You know I do mm, a lot in this, game, uh, this show. As opposed to Lorenzo Elmanifico, the full game, you can, you can have a long line of cards that do things for you. Uh, like It's like five or six cards per color. Here, you only got three. And the columns are the same colors that you have in the regular full board game. There's like a you know, blue column and a, and a yellow column and a purple column, et cetera. And they do, each of the ones kind of do different things, give you certain types of resources or actions. But the fact on your player board, the max you're ever going to have is three cards at a time. And if you got this nice, well-oiled machine running with three level one cards, but then realize I need to find a way to generate faith and that level two card right there happens to match really well with this other level one card that gives me this type of resource. And with that resource, I can level up my faith. I'm going to go buy it. But when you do, you got to cover up one of your existing cards and you got to make sure it's not the one that's going to break your engine. So you build your engine, then you modify it, then you tweak it and you modify it. Another aspect of the game that I really like that's different from the first one is you just can't set an engine and run with it. It's going to be constantly changing over the course of the game. And sometimes you have to break it in order to make it better in a couple more rounds. And like you said, Tony, you got to keep an eye on what everybody else is doing because any resources you generate from your engine, you're right, goes in the stronghold, which means... There's no limit to the number of resources you can have in there. It's not like the other place on your board when you collect resources with the marbles. Here you can have unlimited number of resources. Those are used to run your engine. Those are used to buy new cards. And all those three actions together of getting resources, buying cards, and running your engine is for the sole purpose of trying to get the most victory points. And something that's very important to point out, in the late later stages of the game, you don't run the resource action. Because if you've built your engine right, then you will run it, it will replenish your engine, and you don't really have to go out there unless right. unless there is some need to, to supplement or something broke. Now, one thing that's always constant on your player board is you can turn in any two resources for one. You can always do that. When you run your engine. When you run your engine, right. Yep. So three actions, gather resources, purchase cards, run your engine, gather victory points by buying the cards, increasing your favor with the Pope, and who, if the game ends when someone buys seven cards or 20 favor is gained by one player. Game's over, victory points, winner, winner, chicken dinner. Mm-hmm. 
so, so for me, Marty, this game, it's a must buy. You got to have it. I agree. I loved this game. Uh, when I was reading the rules, I thought, okay, this sounds cool. But when I saw the genius, a resource selection mechanic with the marbles and how the, that shifts, I fell in love with it. Then I realized, oh man, you can only have three cards in your engine. That's very limiting. That makes some tough decisions I got to make. Love that. You can't jump straight to level two or level three. You must buy a level one first. Then you must buy a level two. Then you must buy a level three. So you can't leapfrog. So that makes it very strategic. As you're looking around other people's boards, you realize what they can and can't buy. And as they're going for resources, I remember a couple of times, Tony, you may be like, we're collecting a lot of blue and it's like, ah, oh, crap. I was going to go after that card. And I realized, okay, if, if he's really going after that card, there's no need for me to collect a lot of blue. I need to change change course. Even though there's not a lot of player interaction per se, except maybe messing with the market. You're not, but you're not really doing that on purpose. It's just the way it rolls out. There is enough that you need to keep up with what everybody else is doing, or else you're going to get messed up. Now, victory points also. You have the victory points with if you have three of resource three resources equals one victory, or is it five? I get them. It doesn't matter. Victory points is the winner. That's all that matters. And, you, you know, and there's <laughs> yes, a bunch of ways have, to do if, it. If you have extra resources that at the end, you can convert those to points. I tell you, do you have any negatives on this game at all? How long does it take us to play? It took us one hour each time. One hour. And that first time was a little bit slower. Second time things picked up. And I think it just picks up over time. The, the only downtime I would say, Tony, is when you think you have an idea in place and somebody like the person before you may mess up the market or buy a card that you wanted then you may have to kind of adjust real quick. But towards the end of the game, Tony, like you said, you go to the market less and less because you should have a well-tuned engine that generates the resources that you need to create the victory points that you want. If you're looking for a new game in the Lorenzo world, Rolling Dice and Taking Names really enjoys Masters of Renaissance, Lorenzo El Magnifico, the card game. And there's where my one negative is. The name. I do not like the name. And the whole group said the exact same thing. When you hear Lorenzo El Magnifico, the card game, you automatically jump to something like, uh, hey, let's play Nations, the dice game. What is that? Well, it's like Nations, but it's a quicker version of it using dice. Or, hey, let's play Istanbul, the dice game. What's that? Well, it's kind of like Istanbul, but it uses dice in this quicker game. That's what I thought this was going to be, just a faster version of Lorenzo El Magnifico. And aside from some of the art and how the things are laid out, they really aren't that similar at all. And I think the name does it a disservice. Even, uh, I'm going to say who it was, it was Mark. When we taught him the rules, he didn't seem that thrilled at all. He thought, all right, so it's just an easier card version of this other game. And as, then when we were done, it's like, okay, that's not anything like I thought it was going to be. Because it did take us an hour. It did feel different. I wish it would have been called just Masters of the Universe and maybe like, you know, based in the world of Lorenzo El Magnifico or something like that. Because I think that just the name kind of threw people off. Okay. Uh, or Masters of Renaissance versus Masters of the Universe. Why? Did I say Masters of the Universe? Yes. I'm paying attention to you tonight. Ooh, maybe I've been drinking the wine. So yeah. So maybe just uh, said it, Masters of the Renaissance. And I know people think, Marty, that's nitpicky. Yeah. All of us at the table were thrown by the name, assuming no. it was going to be one thing and it was something else. No, not all of us at the table thought that. No, I did not think that. You didn't? You didn't think it was going to be just like a simpler version of the full game? I, I'll be honest with you. I didn't know what to expect. Okay. 
but then again, I knew that I enjoyed Lorenzo that much that I was hoping there was more to it because I think I would have been disappointed if it had been just Lorenzo with playing cards. Oh, I agree. And I think that's why even Mark was like, I'm not looking forward to this because I'd rather just play the full version of Lorenzo. Okay. But that's why I'm saying I think it does it a disservice. So everyone, this is not just a simpler version of the full board game. This is a different game. Mm-hmm. Uh, this has different mechanics. The The whole resource selection mechanic is very cool. Highly recommended. Right now, Tony, even though it's only January, this is one of my top games so far of 2020. At the end of last year, we had our annual RDTN survey. And thanks for all those people who sent in responses. Uh, a lot of prizes have been given out. I, uh, I know a lot of people have been contacting me back saying, thank you so much. They let us know what they got and everything. But we wanted to share with you what the results of this survey was. And it's very important to us because it's a good way for us uh, to get feedback on the show. So Tony, let's just run through each one of these questions and uh, we'll share what the, the, the final data was. The first question was, how long have you been listening to the show? Pretty much 50% was three to six years. I was stunned at that because that means people have been actually listening to us three to six years. Tony, that's crazy. Well, no, I mean, we we have good fans. We do. They've been tolerating us for three to six years. So thank you for that. And I think just as important to that too, was that we also had about 45% of the respondents have been less have been listening less than two years. And that means a lot to us too. That means over the past couple of years, 45% of those responded have just started listening in that amount of time. So welcome to the new people. You uh, basically missed all the really rough early years. Hopefully it's not as rough as what it used to be. And we're just glad you uh, found us and stuck with us. One of the questions that's very important to me because I don't like it when we go on and on and on and on about stuff kind of like what we just did with Lorenzo, was which type of game discussions do you like on the show? And it was either the five-minute short segments that we do or the full-blown discussions. Predominantly, everybody prefers the mix, which is good, which is what we try to achieve here. Sometimes there are games like Lorenzo that we really are intrigued with, we want to share our thoughts on versus trying to compress it into five minutes. Thank you for that. So we will keep trying to mix it up and you will never see RDTN go to just full-blown discussions on all games. We will always have both of them. For those who like numbers, it was 77% like a mix and 15% like the five-minute initiatives. Only 8% said full-blown. It's like, please, Lord, no. Keep it short and sweet or just a mix of the two. When did you listen to the show? 54% said within the first week of release. And the next highest was (laughs) 26%. Uh, I'll get to it when I get to it. I understand that. I can own that. <laughs> no, I totally get that because, shoot, I've got Netflix shows and stuff that I've been wanting to watch and how I'll just get to it when I get to it. So I kind of look at it like that. Yeah, I got 35 recorded shows of Hawaii Five O. I got to get to. When Get to it when you get to it. Get to it when you get to it. That's right. Now, which guests do you enjoy on the show? Predominantly, everybody loves our designers. 50% of the people responded liked other media guests or better yet, 45% like publishers. And the Scurry Reporters actually got 45% too. That's pretty good for the Scurry Reporters. Fred and Wilma, Nate and Mark. I'm proud of that. <laughs> Fred and Wilma. Yeah, so I mean, that's good. So we got a smorgasbord of different guests and people do tend to like all of them about the same except for designers. And I think that is cool that people want to hear how games are made, which is why it was important in our last episode when we had Rob Davio on the show, uh, who's a, a big designer and design 
I helped design uh, Return to Dark Tower. Uh, that was on Kickstarter, and Kickstarter has been doing very well. Actually, uh, two and a half million the last I checked. So yes, we will keep having uh, more designers on the show because they're the they're the reason why we uh, do this. And if they do think it's funny, it said only six percent prefer no guests. That means it's like, Lord, please, we want to have somebody else on the show besides you, besides you two idiots. All right, and then we got a lot of feedback suggestions. Every one of them was read. Thank you so much. We will take them to heart. Not going to go over all of them here. Mm-mm. If Marty wants to, then I'm going to tune out. Uh, my wine is done. <laughs> I don't need to listen to this. Thank you so much for the kind words and especially any words to help us move this show along. Um, we are here for 2020 and hopefully for the next 10 years. That's my goal. Yeah, actually, we've already had uh, you and I came up with an idea for content in 2021 already. So uh, we're, we're, we're far ahead. Thank you. Yes. Thank you so much for all the kind words. I'm not going to read them all because most of them were just amazingly positive and it meant a lot to us and you know what and we and we also like doing this because it gives people a chance to give a little bit constructive criticism we learn from that too just for example one of them uh that i hadn't even really thought about somebody said that lots of times you guys name drop all these big people that you've had on the show and tony and i usually do it from the perspective of like we're humbled that these people can come on our show but i can totally understand where somebody might say like you're being kind of braggarty and talking about the people that come on the show, I had never thought about that. So hearing that kind of feedback is good. It makes you realize that the tone or how something is presented may not be taken the way that you meant it to. So we appreciate all that. And I will just say one thing. Of all the comments made, 33% or over a third of them mentioned the word lawnmower in their comment. Did you go out and calculate that? Yes, I did. I figured you did. Now, I will say there's one I do want to call out. Okay. Chevy, I promise you, I will get to the five-minute initiative where I play both parts. We will have that in 2020. <laughs> nice. So once again, thank you, everybody. For Oh, by the way, for the one person who in the comment, how just happened to see it, said more Rodney Smith. Rodney, you can't submit your own stuff like that, dude. Thank you so much for all those that uh, submitted the uh, responses and, and for entering the contest and everything. It does mean a lot to us. We do use it. And if you want to provide us feedback over the course of the year, one easy way to do it is you can just email us at rolldicetechnames at gmail.com. Or another great way that's also useful to us is leave us an iTunes review. Uh, when iTunes reviews are made, it affects the algorithm in iTunes on whether we get recommended or not. And if you give us a good review, we get several good reviews in a row. It kind of pops us up as in toward the recommendation list. So that's a good place to leave comments too, which we also read. So once again, thank you so much for all those that submitted. And we'll do it again the end of next year or this year, this year, right? This year. Once again, we would like to welcome back for another year, our sponsor, The Broken Token. They've been with us for many, many years. Gosh, is it six? Uh, yes. Man, it's, it has been a while. And so we are so thrilled to have them back as a sponsor of the show because when I first reached out to Greg, he was just, who was the, the head of Broken Token, he just had a laser printer in his garage and was just selling some inserts. We were just this little puny podcast. And since then, he's become 
this small business, this medium, small to medium sized business where we're still just running this crappy podcast, but we're glad to have ridden his coattails along the way because the Broken Token makes some amazing products. They just released these great components for Arkham Horror Second Edition, these nice player boards and everything. I have the beautiful Mansions of Madness crate, which holds all my Mansions of Madness stuff. They We talked about Marvel Champions selling well. They just released an insert for Marvel Champions. So they're constantly releasing new products. Make sure to join their mailing list and check them out constantly over at thebrokentoken.com. We had a chance to play Sorcerer City from designer Scott Caputo and publisher Druid City Games. And Tony, we're late to the party because everybody's already played this game. Everybody's already raved about how good this game is. But I'm finally glad we got it to the table so that we can see how good of a game it was. I didn't know we were late. I thought we were one of the first. Oh, we were late. We were late. Yeah. Really? People have been talking about this game and playing it for a while and sharing pictures, which made me want to play it even more. Even though everybody's listening to this has probably already heard a lot of reviews on Sorcerer City, we're here to confirm those reviews because it's a pretty darn good game. I was getting ready to say, what did they say? Did they? Why are we talking about it if they've already talked about it? You could save me some time. My wine is empty. <laughs> I'm sorry. So yeah, it is a good game. Everybody has uh, really enjoyed the game. And this is one of those games that surprised me because it's a tile laying game. Well, I guess it's a combination, isn't it? It's a tile building, tile laying game because everybody starts with the same set of tiles and you're going to flip over a two minute timer and you're going to lay those tiles out in order to try to get colors to match certain patterns based on which color you're trying to score and cause some tiles will score certain colors and those colors will represent resources that you get at the end of the round. And while I thought that sounded okay, that sounds pretty straightforward. What's so special about it? It's what happens when you go to evaluate those resources and what you do with them that really put this over the top for me. Okay. This, I think in my opinion, you kind of glossed over this tile laying aspect of it <laughs> and jumped to your, favorite part of it about how you monitor the influence or the magic or the gold or the victory points, which are the four things you're going for here. This tile laying concept, and by the way, pretty good. This game is great. I don't know if other people said that. For me, this game was great. All right. So once you elaborate on the tile laying process, because I, I didn't give it its due, but the tile laying process is like the quickest part of the game, which is I thought was kind of funny. Well, yeah, you got a timer, two, two and a half minutes. I don't know. There's sand in that thing. I didn't measure it. All I know is it put pressure on me. And without <laughs> it, the game is, okay, you've got to have that pressure, right? Yep. You've got to have that challenge. Because as you flip that tile over, you place it, you got to put the next one. You don't have time to sit there. Well, maybe I'll do this one. This one's going to come out. Oh, what is it? You don't have that time. So you've really got to be thinking about that. And then you also got to be thinking about these tiles from an end game perspective. Because as you're pulling those and buying those, you got to think, well, in my mind, how am I going to lay these out? And if they come out a certain way, you've really got to change your strategy fast. And I love that part of that tile laying perspective of it is sitting there challenging yourself to do better. To, I mean, you've got five rounds. Every round I was trying to do better. So mm -hmm. it's that initiative. It's that drive. Hey, how can I do better? How can I score? Even though I know what's coming out, I've got to be ready to go. My first game, I did great. My second game, I stunk to high heaven. 
Because <laughs> yeah, at the beginning of the each round, and I, I do think that it's cool that everybody starts with the exact. It's like a deck building game. Everybody has the exact same cards. Everybody has the exact same tiles. You shuffle the tiles and put them face down, so you just draw one off the top and place it. And once you place it, it can't be moved unless you have a tile that allows you to move it. But some of these tiles just have colors on them, two colors or maybe four colors. But what's important are some of them have scoring goals. It may say, hey, you're trying to get as many yellows in a row as you can. You need at least three to score it. Or another one says you need at least three adjacent green tiles. And if you do, you can score those. And then there's just one. It's like, hey, if you get a bunch of scoring tiles, the ones with the shields around this particular tile, you get points based on the color of that shield. All of the different scoring goals score different types of points. And like you said, there's influence, there's gold, there's victory points, and there's magic. Victory points, pretty straightforward. If you could build, Tony, get a bunch of tiles that just have green and just try to generate as many victory points as you can. But right. to buy tiles, you need gold, which is the yellow tiles. So you need to make sure that you put some yellow tiles together to generate gold that you can buy additional tiles. But then it, when you go to the market, you want to be like be the first person to get choice of the tiles and to get some rewards. So you want to do good on the influence track, which is the red track. And whoever has the highest influence, there's the influence rewards at the end of each round. And the person who comes in first gets two rewards. They get points and a special benefit that's randomized each game. The second place influencer gets one of the two and the third place gets the one that wasn't chosen. So those three tracks are very important. But Tony, I think it's the fourth track that I just loved. It's the magic track. And after you've laid out all your tiles and everybody marks on their board how many points they got of each of those four tracks, you then take three cards into your hand uh, that, you, that you're given at the beginning of the game, but the three different colors, there's influence card, gold card, and victory points. And you're going to secretly place it down, face down on the table, and all of you reveal at once. You're going to take however many points you got on the magic track and apply it to that card that you selected. That, I thought, was the most fun element of the game. Really? Yep. So you didn't think racing time was the funnest of all of them? It did, but when you finish and you look around the table and it's like, well, crap, let's see, Tony has 10 influence. Fred over there has eight influence, but he has like five magic that he could spend on the influence to overtake Tony. I'm sitting at like 10 influence, but I've got six magic. Tony only has five. So I know I could beat him in influence, or maybe I should take that five and make it gold so that I could get a better tile this turn. Or maybe I should just make it victory points. It's just an interesting decision. And everybody's looking around the table trying to decide who can do what. And you're doing that math in your head. And to me, this is where the game kind of slows down a bit. Because when you're trying to decide where to place your magic on one of those three tracks is where it kind of slows down a bit. Because having influence, being first is huge. Mm -hmm. Because this influence rewards can be big. Mm -hmm. But then you may realize there's no way I can take first place in influence. So instead, I'm going to convert it all to gold. So I can get a better uh, a better purchase. So you resolve the influence, like I said, rewards. And then you go to the market. Whoever has the highest influence gets to buy a tile. And there's different levels of tiles. One, two, three, four, and five. And the, the higher tiles are, are more powerful. They give you special abilities and they cost more. And typically you only have one buy per round. There are things that can change that where you can get an extra buy per round. So you can buy multiple tiles. And then you shuffle up all those tiles again. And then you go on to the next round. You play that over the course of five rounds. And at the very end, you just look down. You see how many victory point coins have I collected? And uh, that's the winner of the game. On your side, it was that 
negotiation. See, we because we did that. We tried to play mind games with each other on that. Oh my gosh, we did, and we were screwing each other over so bad. Hey, Tony, uh, listen. You and I could share influence rewards if you want. If we, if I apply my magic to the to the influence and you don't, we can share the rewards. You'd be like, "Yeah, Marty, I'll do that." And then you flip over and you go, "No, I think I'm just going to take the influence reward all by myself." And that stuff was going on, and it was fun. I mean, it was kind of cutthroat, but it made the game enjoyable. And I think for me, that's when it can become. That's where the game got long for me. Mm. Was was that type of waiting and and seeing and trying to get? I was like, let's. I guess that to me was the slowdown, the speed bump of this game. It and was. I was thinking about it as we, I was getting ready to record to this. I was like, okay, really enjoy placing the tiles. You have to have the timer. Then you hit that speed bump, and this is where some AP can kick in. And that's probably you talked about in our last talk with Lorenzo, where you had the negative. This is my negative. Okay, there was too much. AP or speed bump or slow down. I just rush to do something. And then it's kind of like you have been slammed on the brakes. Mm -hmm. I had good momentum in this game. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. (gasps) Okay. We're stopping. And you know what? I I guess what you could do is you could use the timer, right? If you felt like you were slowing down, once you resolved all your points, maybe flip the timer over. It's like, you got two minutes to decide what you're going to be doing here. To make right. you, you need to pick a card that you're going to be playing with. Oh, and by the way, I forgot to mention too, at the end of the round, your stuff doesn't carry over. If you didn't spend all your gold, you lost it. Your influence doesn't really do you much of anything. And the victory points that you gain, you actually convert it to tokens. And we happen to get the deluxe version, Tony, which has the nice metal victory point coins. So you convert all your victory points to coins and then reset all your resource values back to zero for the next round. So nothing carries over. I'm sorry, did you mention the monsters? Tony, I did not. I was saving that for last. Why don't you tell us about the monsters, which, uh, who was it that had the issue with that? Was it Nate? Or is it Mark that had the issue with the monsters? Nate had the issue with the monsters, and I completely disagree with him. Okay, tell us why. So to first, tell us what the monsters are, and then what the issue is. You don't have to use them, but if you don't, you're a fool. Yeah, just plain, I agree. Just plain simple. Okay, that's a little harsh. I shouldn't say that, but I did. So from the <laughs> standpoint of at the end of a round, there are four monsters. There's a two level ones and two level two monsters. Players will be dealt monster tiles and these monsters have special abilities and they go into your tile laying deck so as you're flipping them over they will influence something that's going on in your city that you're building for instance we inserted the dragon whenever the dragon flipped over whatever tile he was placed next to he would destroy a tile he was placed next to so if he was placed next to Two tiles, you had to pick at that point. He slowed you down. That time element kicked back in because now you've got another decision. He could break your city. He could destroy your city. So these monsters are coming out at the end of each round, and they are all not the same colors. So they are dealt blindly out to everyone. So they could. some monsters may have red and green on them. Some may have purple. It, it all depends. So what your strategy was for a certain color, they still count towards your colors, but they could mess you up. So for me, I think the monsters are a necessary addition to it because it adds another challenge to it. Because other than that, if you were to go from round to round, then it be, just becomes, how can I best maximize my city? I learned that pattern. I can probably pretty well mimic it each round. So mm-hmm. I think the monsters are a, necess- a necessity. I think the issue that Nate had was he wanted something that's like that he can strategically determine what's the best way to build his city. 
And the randomization of the monster coming out, will he come out early? Will he come out late? Could totally screw up your plans. And I think it's that part that, that he wasn't as a fan. Of, it may add some randomness to it that maybe is that what's, that's what makes it not a straight Euro type game. There is an element of luck involved. Mm-hmm. Sometimes let's say uh, Tony, the dragon I actually used to destroy another monster. Exactly. Uh, I had a monster in play. The dragon came out. I put the dragon beside a monster, a skeleton that will block my path. And I destroyed and, and killed the, uh, the skeleton. And by the way, it, the tile is not discarded. Tony said it right. It's destroyed. So a tile that you may just bolt. I mean, wor- a worst scenario is you, an expensive tile is like number one. And your next tile is a dragon. Guess what? You just destroyed your best tile. And that's kind of the luck of the draw of the game. And I think that's where people are like, uh, Lady Luck did not smile on me in this round. Wah. Get over it. It's a game. Yeah, no, I agree. But I think people just need to know going in that you may have some bad luck when it comes to the monsters. And like you said, you don't have to play with the monsters, but I think you're doing a disservice to the game if you don't, because it adds that chaos that makes it for a really good game. Yeah. And then also there's there's ones that can add it to the players, but you also have tiles that you can buy that can destroy the monsters. So that's another yep. decision you have to make when you're looking at what tile do I want to buy? There's a tile that can destroy, but it's not the color scheme that I'm trying to go with. So it's all part of the game. We didn't have to use artifacts. We didn't use them on the first game. We used them on the second game. Now that to me is not something that's required, but it's something I expect in the next game. We did make a uh, a rule as we were playing the game. On the back of the tiles for sorting and everything, tells you uh, there's a little emblem that tells you whether it's a starter tile, a level one tile, a monster tile, etc. So what we did was you didn't want to shuffle And then, oh, I happen to have a monster on the top. I'm going to do one more shuffle so he's not on the top. So all of us kind of blindly shuffled and said, I'm done. And then we could look down and look at the the back of the top tile and know what it is. So for me, Sorcerer City, now this was a Kickstarter game, right? It was, but it's in retail. It's in retail. This is one of those games that, and I I debated this morning for to put on my shelf. This is a game I will play with y'all always. Yep. This is not a game. This is not a game that I would play with Donna and my friends who enjoy Carcassonne. I will not do this. They don't like using timers. You have to have the timer. So this game is, it's kind of a, I would love to have it on my shelf, but there's really no need because you have it on yours. It's not one I'm going to pull out for it. People have been listening to the show over between three to six years, 50% of us, they understand what Donna enjoys, my wife. And it's one of those things where I think I would not have on my shelf because I know they could not handle the timer. Nothing against what their thought process is just, they don't like that pressure in a game. I do really enjoy the game. And I think this is one of these things that our group, our game group, uh, liked. I mean, the last time we got together, somebody said, Hey, do you by chance have Sorcerer City and let's play a game of that? It plays up to uh, like 60 minutes, but it takes about an hour or so. It plays up to six players, Tony, but I, I think four is the sweet spot because I think six players could be really slow because that means you got six people going to the market, you know, and, and all that. I think it would just slow the game down. So I think four is a nice sweet spot. The flow of the game is just really interesting. The main part of the game, which is laying the tiles, which is your engine building part, is the quickest part of the game. Yes. Two minutes and then you're done. And then you're spending the rest of the round resolving what you just did. So I too am a fan of the game. I totally get why everybody really enjoys it. That Sorcerer City designer Scott Caputo and publisher Druid City Games. If this sounds interesting to you, I, I really recommend seeing if you can get a copy of it and uh, try this out. So Tony, I talked about this at the beginning of the 
show about a, a topic I want to talk about real quick. In years past, it seems like every year, Tony, we're always talking about, oh, is this the year the bubble's going to burst in the hobby market? And every year, we used to early on say this will be the year that it bursts, but there's never been a bubble that burst. I, I begin to question if there is even a bubble. Is there even a bubble? You're, you're right, because it's just been steady growth. But it's kind of interesting. There's been a couple things that's been going on uh, the past year or so that maybe makes me think, well, maybe there's not a bubble. But maybe the growth is starting to slow down a bit. And this was triggered by a post that Ignacy made on BGG, where he talked about, he says he's lost his compass. It seems like he says he knows every year he's in tune with the community. He knows what they want. They want a roll and write game, or they want a legacy style game or a storytelling game. And he says right now, he just can't tell what people want. He said he's very active on game forums and social media, and he's always kind of linked into what's going on and knows what kind of products that he needs to bring. But now he he's unsure because he said things come and go so fast. And this was from January 10th. He says, I don't know what's next. He says, there's too many games, too short a lifespan of a game, no trends in forums, no single game lives more than a few weeks on Twitter or Instagram. Games are played one time and tossed away replaced with a new hot title, and it's crazy. And Tony, I think we've talked about this before. We've seen that, right? In that when a new game comes out, it's like two or three weeks later, unless it becomes like a staple or an evergreen game, it's just kind of gone. For me, I think it comes down to stop giving me such good games. What do I want? Ignite says, what do these people want? We want good games with large print. That's what we want. (laughs) I did not lose my compass. If they've lost my magnifying glass when in this move, I'm in really up to see, uh, up the creek. Blame the designers for putting together such good games. Blame the designers for putting together. Are, are you saying there's too many good games? Yes, there's too many good games out there that every time you turn around, you, we just talked about two incredible games on this show. You know, well, what was it like 10 years ago? 10 years ago, fewer games were coming out. So then those games that you bought will stay on the table longer. But now that there's about 3,000 games coming out per year, you can't keep up, which is another thing I was going to point out too. We've joked over the years about your buyer's remorse. Why do I need that game? Why do I want to buy that game? I'm not going to buy that game. And I've always been the type, hey, new game, sweet. I'm going to go buy it and get and, and play it. But I, I've sort of come around to you because things come out so fast and there's so many good games that I used to have FOMO, fear of missing out. Like there's going to be a sweet game that I didn't get and missed a chance to play, but I don't have that anymore because I just can't keep up. And because I've acknowledged I can't keep up, then why try to get everything? Wait a minute. You just said FOMO? Yeah. Okay. Fear of missing out. See, had I not been watching Ellen, Donna and I would not know what FOMO stood for. We've been watching the games, the Ellen's, what is it, game? Uh, The game, yeah, I know what you're talking about. It's like her game show thing. Yeah, that was one of the questions. What If someone says FOMO, what do they mean? I had no idea. Well, see, you learn something new every day. I tell you what, see, I just squirreled over there, and then I had a slight distraction to that because I'm starting thinking about, but there, you're you're right. I've got great games, and I will not want to keep adding games to my shelf. I'm good. I am. I am happy with the games I have, and I don't know if I need the new ones, says the guy who just picked up on sale a copy of Lincoln because Marty (laughs) said it was such a good game. Two-player game that 
I can't wait to try with Donna. You're going to have to do a whole segment with how that goes. But yeah, when, when you get that, let, let me know how that goes. This discussion kind of kicked off with what Ignacy said, but then it was followed up by a report from ICV2 who talked about game sales uh, last summer in, in 2019. And they talked to different people. They talked to store owners and uh, distributors and stuff. And it said that for the summer months, it was flat. Instead of this mm. spike, this growth, it was kind of flat for the period, which with Gen Con coming out, you think there would be the spike. And there's has some really good quotes in here. Here's a person from a, a game store up in Minnesota that said, the sheer number of products coming out is excessive. Instead of having the, this is the definitive number one summer game, it's like you have a hundred of those. It's only like you said, it's um like there's too many good games, right? So instead of ordering something in the 60s, we order stuff like in the 10s and 12s, and we just have to order more product for different SKUs. So Tony, instead of ordering from 10 years ago, 60 of that one good game, that really good game, now they have to order like 10 copies of six good games. Okay. I'm trying to follow you with the math. I mean, maybe the wine clouding my judgment, but I'm good with it. <laughs> but I, but what they're saying is, it's like they can't keep up. So what do you, what do you put on the shelf? Well, it's not just this one game. We have to carry like six games. But then what happens in a couple of weeks when those games don't sell anymore? Mm-hmm. And they say, and the and the resellers are saying they keep hearing the same story from distributors. The staples are getting to be more staple as the thousands of new games continue to struggle. And that's from the Southern Hobby, uh, which is a distributor. What that means is the Evergreen games, the Azuls, the Ticket to Rides, the Terraforming Mars, keep gaining a momentum because that's what sells. And it's the other stuff, the new stuff that's now starting to struggle to the point to where publishers are cutting back the numbers of stuff they're printing because they can't sell as much as the new stuff as what they used to. Are we going to relate this back to our 1980s baseball card thing? Well, the market burst and there was a bubble there and the market burst. Like you said, I don't think there's a bubble here that's going to burst, right. but mm-hmm. maybe there's some slowness in the growth. So maybe it's still a positive growth, but the slope is not as sharp as what it used to be. Yeah. I mean, there's still, there, there are more and more board game people coming in. Yes. To your point, when I introduce somebody, I will always pull off the shelf. Ticket to ride. That'll be number one. If I know I've got a good co-op, even though it's old, pandemic hits the shelf. I mean, hits the table. So I, I do. I think you're right. You, you got to know the new people that are coming, what are they going to do? What are they might be interested in? How can you bring them into the hobby? Seven Wonders comes off mm-hmm. the shelf. I mean, I still pull down Catan. I agree. I, I mean, yeah, the staples are becoming the staples and even the new staples, you know? Yeah. And uh, going back to that store owner from Minnesota, he even followed up and said, there's so much product coming out that even the Gen Con hits were forgotten in three weeks. Remember when Gen Con stuff came out and pretty much lasted the rest of the year? But now it seems like as soon as Gen Con's over, people look immediately to like Essen. Okay, great. Now what's coming out of Essen? And it said uh, publishers are trying to see if the problem is in the supply chain. I've heard this before too from some publishers. They feel like the problem isn't the games, but it's the distributors. And uh, they say, I think there are some publishers that are getting upset and blaming the effect on distributors. I think what they're going to find in the end, that is, it is consumer driven and the actions have been taken because of how the market has shaped up. That's just flowed upward from consumer to retailer, retailer to distributor, distributor to publisher. So they're going back to the consumer saying the consumer's not buying as much. 
and the consumer's not buying as much, why would the retailer put it on the shelf? If they're not putting on the shelf, why they order so much from the distributor? And then likewise, the distributor doesn't need to order as much from the publisher. You're making my head hurt. <laughs> Maybe we should have just done this discussion first before the wine kicked in. There's so many things. that There's so many variables to it. Is it the Kickstarter pledges? I mean, oh my gosh, how much are they willing to spend on a game? And they keep wanting more and more specialness in the game. Oh, but that drives up the price, which keeps... I understand what you're saying. But it's just interesting, too, that you said that because I saw another article that said for 2019, the board game space increased on Kickstarter over 2018. So that wasn't flat. More money was spent on Kickstarter in 2019 on board games than 2018. Or was it spent on more expensive games versus more volume? That's a good question. Uh, I don't know the answer to that. Okay. Maybe, maybe so. Uh, maybe when your games are selling for 125 bucks a piece as opposed to 60, you know, it only takes somebody buying one of the $125 gamers or we're supposed to take two of buying the $60 game. Mm -hmm. And then finally on this, uh, this store owner also said that he just did his Christmas order that when he was interviewed for this article he said during Christmas, I could pick 12 games and order 100 of each of those. That would be my Christmas sales. That's what they pushed this year. There's no game quite like that. Uh, he ordered a lot of wingspan wingspan was hot last year. Obviously they ordered the new Marvel game. As we talked about in the top 10, we know the new Marvel card game is hot, but they didn't order a hundred. Instead, they just order like in the twenties. And he said, they're going to be fine with that. In the past, he would sell 200 copies of Settlers of Catan. Now he only has six on his shelf and the only reorders if they're gone. He said, there's just, there's 10,000 other games that I, and we just can't keep up with them all. So I think the whole flatness of the market has now come down to me because I, in the fact that I had the same opinion. A game has really got to blow me away now. It's got to feel super different for me to get super excited about it. Otherwise, I'll just go, eh, I'll have FOMO for like three weeks, but it'll be gone when the next one comes out. You're 50 plus years old. Stop saying FOMO. Did Helen say FOMO? Only because it was a question. She's older than 50. Is she? She's old. Yes, she's older. Yes. Okay, not that she looks better than us. Well, yeah. But okay, to your point, yes. I have rubbed off on you. You have become grumpy with this. And it's and it's so weird. It's like people probably don't want, the audience probably doesn't want to hear that. It's like, well, great, because we want to hear about the new games. And the new games are what's important because a lot of people go out and check out content and everything because they want to hear about the new games. And we're going to keep covering the new games. I, I know. It, it's not like we're not going to cover the new games. But then I wonder, you and I have talked about many times before, in fact, we, we've got a, a show planned around playing reprints of old games to seeing if they hold up. Do people even want to hear about that? We talked about, we, uh, you and I played another game recently we may talk about later on. We played Agizia, mm -hmm. uh, Shifting Sands, which is from Stronghold Games. And that's a new version of an older style game. And I remember when I read the rules to that game to learn to play it, it did not impress me at all. I thought, what's the big deal? In this game, you place workers on a track. And you cannot, you always have to go further down the track than your last worker played. You're trying to get cards, generate resources and try to put your workers out here, these tokens out here to build up these buildings and get points. It sounds old school. And when we started playing, it was old school, but by the end, it was something happened to me to where it was refreshing. There was no new gimmick. There was no marble tray for pushing marbles around or anything like that. There was no cute metal coins or anything. It was just simple. 
a simple Euro and all of a sudden it's kind of, I kind of miss that. I kind of miss just the standard straightforward Euro. Mm-hmm. You know, it's kind of like, I just watched this comedy called Fleabag that's on Amazon that won a Golden Globe for best comedy. And cause I wanted to, I wanted to watch a new comedy and see what was funny. Comedies that win awards are different nowadays. They're edgy. They're kind of artsy. And it's like in the nineties, you know, like Frasier would win the best comedy. And I would just laugh out loud at that sort of thing. And if I go back and watch a Frasier episode, it's like refreshing. It's just a standard sitcom, but everything tries to be so complex today. And I wonder if it's the same with board games. I wonder if I'm starting to feel that way. It's like the nostalgia of simple board games appeals to me now, like a Gizia did when we were done, as opposed to the newfangled thing. I'm just simple. I'm going to be honest. You, you just mentioned here that you're streaming these on Amazon, things like that. And here I am still stuck on CBS. So I think maybe it is a perspective that you're sharing in life in general. Maybe so. And it's no, it's no knock on the new games. No. Again, I knew Agizia was going to be an older style game. It was going to feel old. And I thought it was going to feel stale. And yet it didn't. It's kind of nice. It mm-hmm. was just vanilla. And it was nice. Mm-hmm. And then every once in a while, it's good to have just a good old scoop of vanilla as opposed to maybe Neapolitan. However, there are some scoops of vanilla that you get, maybe an off-brand that did not age well. See, that's a good point too, man, because there have been games I've played. It's like, I've played this before. What's so special about it? I mean, we just played one that we'll talk about later that it was. A, it's a very good game. It's a war game that we've played, and it's just like, why would I bring this out when I've got War Chest? Undaunted as a good comparison since it was a war game. Exactly. Why would I, you know, so from that standpoint, it's a challenging position for the publishers to be in and the, yes. and the, and the retailers and things like that. When we go in Carolina tabletop, I look at the shelves every time and say, okay, what new does he have on the shelf? He doesn't have room for new. And then I look at the 50% off shelf. And yet we just talked about at the beginning of the show, miniature market, Balled out a lot of fancy flight. Asthma day. Yeah. Asthma day. I'm sorry. Asthma day overstock. Yep. So, hey, I'm going to benefit because a game that is a staple, La Havre, is now in my collection. Which I've never played. That'd be another good one to put on that list when we go back and visit some older games mm-hmm. and, exactly. and see how see how well it holds up. Yeah, I don't envy, envy publishers right now trying to decide what to do. And I think that's where kind of wrapping back to Ignacy. He's like, what do I do? Mm-hmm. What's the trend right now? What kind of game do I make? What's going to stick? People are adjusting. And I mean, you just read about the whole Asthma Day layoffs, right? Yes. People from FFG were let go. People from Plat Hat Games were let go. Why? Are they shrinking? They're probably just reorganizing. Maybe they're getting ready for a sale. Maybe they're getting ready to offload. Whoever owns Asthma Day is getting ready to offload Asthma Day. And they're trying to trim the fat. But obviously they feel like, well, we don't need all these people. And I hate I hate people lose job. That, I may, that was a very flippant, flamboyant, hey, people lost their job. I didn't mean that. I hate that these people lost their job. But I'm just saying that things are adjusting. Even the big boys are realizing, wow, we probably need to trim a little bit. Everybody was riding the RPG wave, but who's always a stable? Stable. Staple? Dungeons and Dragons. Magic and Dungeons and Dragons. There you go. So... <sighs> Either way, I'm just going to keep rolling dice. <laughs> wow. You're not even going to transition out of that, eh? <laughs> hey, man, I just drank a Diet Mountain Dew. I got issues. <laughs> oh, you, you got to go. All right, fine. And what would you say? Oh, and taking names.
Thanks for listening. And remember, you can follow us on the social medias at Dyson Names on Twitter and Instagram. Come join our BGG Guild 1589. We have a Facebook page. And if you don't join those, you're going to have FOMO. Good gosh. Well, Marty, I sometimes can make it to another con and one that I always enjoy because it's in the winter. Tantrum Con is going on the first weekend in February and that's when I'm supposed to be back in my house. So it does not look like I'm going to be able to make it down there because I'm going to be moving back into my house, but you will be there. Yes, I will. And I hate you can't be there because we're going to play one of your favorite games, Snicker, from 2018. No. 2019? What is this? 2020, 2029, 2020. I'd rather be lifting an armoire or an ottoman. <laughs> so if you want to come play with me at Tantrum Con, make sure to go out to the Tantrum Con page. Go to the events page. And we've got three spots left available. Come sit with me on Saturday, February 1st at 1130. Play a game of Ragusa while Tony is moving Automons. Is Automons what you said? Uh, it's the Autobots in disguise. <laughs> hey marty did you check out that portal con announcement oh my gosh can you believe that that game that's coming amazing i can't believe it because he's lost his compass but yet he still announced that i know i cannot wait to play that that game and that other thing is going to be so cool and the expansions that he has planned for his previous games i i know i gotta get the expansion for that one game and probably that other one also so if you missed all these announcements because well first off we recorded this before portal combo that's okay. Go to portalgamesus.com. But I'm still excited about that one game. Oh, me too. I'm, I can't wait. <laughs>